here this morning. Then we're going to have some prayer. Uh, that looks pretty good, don't it? Uh, so we'll see if we can't uh, publish that some kind of way. Uh, that looks pretty good. And I, I would just say to us Christians, <clears throat> the ones of us who are here, there's tons of sickness going on. I guess everybody knows that. Uh, my wife's in that category. Um, we need to stop, well, we need to just stand and quit letting the world hijack everything God gives us. Amen. That is God's symbol to us that he's not going to destroy the world with a flood anymore. And we're thankful for that, aren't we? Uh, he did destroy the world one time with a flood. Now, he is going to redo the world or destroy it with fire someday, and I think that day soon. But this is God's covenant with man that he made with us to remind us that he would not destroy the earth with a flood anymore. We have pockets of problems occasionally, but the earth has never come close to being destroyed with a flood again because God's faithful to his word. Can you say amen? amen. Hey, let's stand to our feet. I hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. First thing we're going to do is I've got multitudes of calls and texts from families that are dealing with flu and RSV and all that kind of stuff. So let's have special prayer. Those of you that have been around me for a lot of years, you know that we've seen God do things that we've prayed about corporately. One of the biggest, I think some of you remember, is we prayed for rain. Remember that? When we hadn't had rain in a long time and God gave us rain the next day. So we know he answers prayer. So we got a lot of sick folk, and we're not the only ones. I'm sure you've got people in your circle that maybe go to other churches or whatever. So let's pray for the sick and afflicted this morning, then we'll go into our praise and worship time. Father, we thank you for your long-suffering, your patience. <clears throat> we know that sickness is going around our community so many ways. We just pray, Lord, that you'll protect and watch over each one that's battling whatever the illness is that they're battling. We pray that you'll help everybody's immune system. Lord, as we follow you, we know you are the great physician, and we need your help during these days. It does seem like sickness has really ramped up in so many ways, and we knew, we knew that that was coming that that was a part of the end of time, that sicknesses and diseases would ramp up. But we need your protection, Lord. We need your divine protection. We do not want to be incapacitated, Lord, to where we cannot do your will. We don't want to be hindered. And we just pray, God, that you will step into this moment for your people's sake and show a testimony, Lord, just like you did with the people in Egypt. We pray for the families and loved ones and friends and and our whole communities, Lord, wherever each one of us live, that you would have mercy and bring healing in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Let's, uh, let's read me read to you this psalm because it's a good reminder for all of us as we uh, live our lives. Everybody's familiar with this. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Amen. It's pretty good for just half the church right there. <laughs> Serve the Lord with gladness and come before His presence with singing. Now that's what we're getting ready to do. Are you glad this morning to be a believer in Jesus Christ? Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and not we ourselves. We didn't come this far on our own. Amen. The Lord brought us here. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. He owns us, right? Enter into His gates with thanksgiving. Who's got something to be thankful for? Love, salvation, family, peace, forgiveness, joy, healing. I heard somebody say, Pastor, I'm in on that one. Sunday school teachers. Freedom. Freedom. Freedom only comes in Christ. You can be free in a jail cell if you know Jesus. Amen. It says, enter into his courts with praise. Uh, we're going to try that one again. <laughs> Sorry, God. It sounded like we were saw something we didn't like. Woo. 
<laughs> Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Woo! All right. This has been Thanksgiving week, so we got a lot to be thankful. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endures to all generations. We just saw that with that. Didn't we? We just saw that with the rainbow that God's truth is still enduring to us the covenant he made with Noah thousands of years ago. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give him praise. He's worthy. That's the greatest thing we have to be thankful for. It? It's his love. Who's as forgiven as Jesus? Nobody. Who loves as much as Jesus? Nobody. Who laid his life down for those who were against him? That includes you and I, by the way. Nobody but Jesus. And he loves that person you're concerned about this morning. We all have people we're concerned about. Concerned about their eternal destiny. The Lord loves them more than you do. You may love them with a deep passion. Because you have the capacity to love through Christ that way. But he loves them more than you and I do. My children belong to God before they belong to me. He lent them to me to be a steward of them. But they belong to Him first. His love is amazing. If you read David's Psalms, the first part of his psalm, he talks a lot about his trouble in his younger life and a little bit about his God. The older he gets, he talks a little bit about his trouble and a lot more about how good his God is. He fell in love with God over and over and over again. His love is the greatest thing in life. Can you say amen to that? Let's give the Lord praise. Amen. Children's church is dismissed. The rest of you may be seated. I'm going to put a couple of scriptures on the screen here for you. John 18 and 36 says, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. Now, some of us wish he hadn't have said that, don't we? We, we like a good fight, right? So that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. Now, we need to remember that. Lest we fall in, as Americans, we can fall into this if we're not careful. Lest we fall into the same problem the Jews had. They wanted Jesus to fix everything and set it right and shove Rome down and put them in, this, in their place. They'd, they missed that his kingdom was not of this world. They got so caught up in all the, the bad stuff they saw, right? We all see that, right? We hear about it, we read about it, and it's not just in America, but it's worldwide. The world's getting worse, there's no question, war, way worse. But Jesus told us that it would be like the days of Noah in the end, and that's where we're at. But we've got to remember this. That his kingdom is not in this world. Now, <clears throat> I'm not here to argue about whether the weather's changing. I'm just telling you, trying to save this planet is futile. Because the Bible says God is going to destroy it. Now, man's not going to destroy it. God is. So that's all futile. And Paul said people would wind up worshiping the creation more than the creator. And that's where we're at. We're in a time like that. And that's frustrating for us to live in a minority of people in the world who take God at His word and believe in it and stand for it when most of the world doesn't. We're, and, but we got to remember that this world is not where His kingdom's at. His kingdom is not of this world. And so we got to make sure we remind ourselves of this. Matthew 6 and 33. So now we know, or we remind ourselves, 
that the kingdom of God is not of this world. Then he says something else about that. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. We're going to get into Matthew 6 in just a moment. But this verse is a challenging verse because first thing we learn was that his kingdom's not of this world, and now he's telling us, but that's what we're supposed to pursue. We're supposed to pursue, we are supposed to pursue, that's hard to say together at the same time. We are supposed to pursue his kingdom, yet his kingdom is not in this, of this world. Now, Moses did this in Hebrews 11. It talks about how he was able to endure because he saw that which was invisible. Now, that's oxymoron. I understand that. But that's the spiritual insight that we're given when we become believers and when we follow Christ and we've been given the Holy Spirit. So we're able to see things with our spiritual eye by faith that we don't necessarily see in the natural, right? And so that's what Moses did. He was able to endure, according to Hebrews chapter 11, I think, verse 30, he was able to endure that uh, whatever he was facing, and he faced a lot because he could see him who was invisible. So you and I are called to endure by seeing an invisible kingdom that's not of this world, and that kingdom we're supposed to make first. We're supposed to seek it first. Now, that's the first question we want to ask ourselves as believers. Is that the pattern of your life? I'm not saying that it don't get out of whack at times because we're all human, but is that the pattern of your life, right? When you get into First uh, John and some of the teachings of John, he really stresses the practicing of things, right? He, he tells us we're going to get in trouble if we practice sin. He also tells us that we can practice righteousness. doesn't mean any of us are perfect or that we never miss the mark, but that's the pattern of our life. We practice righteousness. Is the pattern of your life that God's kingdom is first? And it can be. doesn't mean you have to quit your job. doesn't mean you have to give all your money away or anything like that. But if we looked at our lives, if we gauged our lives, by our activities, our thought process, the things we engage in, whether it's God's Word or whatever, if we looked at our checkbooks, those kinds of things, would God's kingdom be first? That's what He's asked of us. He's asked of us to seek that first, and then He tells us all these other things will be added unto us. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. Now, there's a big difference between what uh, Gentiles pursued and what God asked the Jewish people to pursue, and how Jesus taught his followers. Now this is Jesus talking, and the Jews were basically taught to live like this. They just didn't have the strength to do it, because they hadn't, Christ hadn't come. But in Matthew chapter 6, let's listen to the instruction on how Jesus talks to us about living life. And he gets to this verse that I just showed you there in Matthew 6 and 33. <clears throat> take heed that you do not take heed that you do not your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them, otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now that is a very challenging thing in the world we live because men are praised, they're put on the front pages of newspaper, they get their pictures taken in the culture. They all want to be known because I gave $10 million for whales in Africa, or whatever, whatever they do. There's just all kinds of stuff. That's how the world does it. That's how the American culture does it. So that's different than what God's ask of us. One of my <coughs> friends that I grew up with, who grew up probably in one of the, maybe the worst holler you could have grown up in. We have, <coughs> just like there's sections in the city where all the drugs and Tough times are at. There's hollers like that where I grew up. He grew up probably in the roughest holler. By the time he was a freshman in high school, he'd lost his mother and his father. He just bounced around all over the holler. <coughs> Excuse me. He was a very tall man. Had the opportunity to play college basketball. I never knew what happened to him. Then I did a funeral a few years back, and I, he, he showed up for the funeral. And so I asked him, I said, uh, we talked and caught up a little bit. And he said, Matthew, he said, uh, I was uh, 
when I got out of high school, he said, I could have went and played ball. But he said, I was so tired of being poor and being without money. He said, I joined the military. I thought, that's a pretty good decision, right? Because a lot of people that grew up the way he grew up said, I was so tired of being poor, I started selling drugs. Or I got with a gang and I started stealing. And so he made, a, he made a good decision. So he joined the military and he went all over the world. He was telling me some of the things he did all over the world. He wound up coming to Christ. Got married. He's got several, like two or three wonderful children. And this boy, he said, I walked out of that holler, joined the military. And I said, I'm tired of not having any money and being poor. And now, he and his partner are the largest retail seller of the trailers for tractor and trailers this side of the Mississippi. He lives in Georgia. I'm not going to tell you his name because they gave a a large donation two or three years ago. Some of you will remember when Duke and Kentucky played in Atlanta at a preseason game. That was his company. He was behind the scenes. You'd have never known it. I don't even know the name of the company. Doing things in secret. I tell you, I, was, I about fell over. I couldn't believe where he'd come from and what he'd accomplished. But stepping into Christ, making good decisions. You know, our lives all are made up of good decisions or bad ones or a combination of both. They produce what's coming out of our lives. So you can be like this. He's that way. I don't know what he's worth. We never talked about that. But you can still be a giver and hide. And he says, he said, don't do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now that's plain talk, isn't it? I mean, Jesus is trying to, Get us to live the way he wants us to live. He says, therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the street that they may have glory for men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. And that's what they seek. That's what the culture seeks. They want pats on the back from each other. We're Christians. We're not looking for that. We're looking for well done. That's what we're looking for, right? When we cross that finish line, we want to hear God say, Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we're after. We're not after somebody patting us on the back down here. He says, And they, that they may have glory for men. And surely I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. That's pretty powerful opportunity there, right? God, Jesus has given us some instruction on how we should help others, and that's pretty powerful. That He says, if you'll do these things in secret, He said, I'm going to reward you openly. And then He gets into prayer. He says, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues, <coughs> excuse me, on the corners of the streets that they may have seen, that they may be seen by men. Again, you see the difference? They're after accolades from men. They want men to promote them or pat them on the back or whatever. They're looking for favor from men. You don't have to do that. As a believer, all you need to do is seek the favor of the Lord. Now, he, and this has happened in my life, he may give you favor with men or people, women, whoever you need favor with, but if you seek him first, he'll give you the favor you need in, in the right places. Not saying he don't use men, but it, the problem is we get sidetracked from seeking him and, and seeking his favor and start looking from people, and that's when we get disappointed and things don't work out. He says, for they love to pray, they want to be seen by men, right, in the corner of the streets. He says, they, he says, assuredly, I see they have their reward. So they're producing their own reward, right, instead of waiting on God. But you, when you pray, go into your room. When you shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you up. There's a second time that we see God saying, if you'll do it this way, I'll reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. That's a nail, right? 
right? I mean, that hits maybe all of us between the eyes at times. Sometimes we think, I'm going to go ahead and really drive this point home with God. <laughs> and it's just over and over and over. And he said, that's not what brings you into favor or a place to be heard. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things which you need uh, before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray. So we call this the Lord's Prayer, but it's really our prayer. He teaches us how to pray. The Lord's Prayer is in John 17, where He prays on our behalf and intercedes. But He says, Our Father uh, in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. How do we know that's not Jesus' prayer? Because he had no debt. He had no sin. He didn't have to pray that. After he taught them how to pray, and this is another place, but he, he, he gives an interesting conclusion. He says, if you, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Strong language here. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, I'm reading this to us because this is how Jesus is teaching us to live. He's saying, I want you to try and live this way. I want this to be how you live. And he's going to get to Matthew 6, of course, in a minute. Moreover, when you fast, and he talks, so when he talks about fasting here, so it's assumed that we would practice that. Do not be like the hypocrites. Again, he brings the hypocrites a sad count, with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fast. So surely I say to you, they have their reward. So there's something different about the way we're supposed to live as the way the culture lives. The culture does everything to be seen by other men or women, people. That's not our objective. Our objective is to please God. And that's a big contrast. And we, he's, he's hitting in all the religious aspects. So basically, Jesus is ratting out some of the church people who are living like the world. Right? He calls them hypocrites. He says they, they're... they're doing things to be seen. Their goal is to get favor with men instead of getting favor with, with the Lord. When you fast, he says, they're going to get their reward, right? Surely I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will, re there it is again, reward you openly. So people who live their lives unto God rather than unto men or people, they're going to be rewarded by God openly. Pretty powerful stuff. Then he talks about other things. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now think about that. We, our affection will be given to the thing where our treasure's at. And, and so he's challenging us to make sure that our treasure is in heaven. That that's our number one objective, is to seek the kingdom to make sure God's first, to make sure we put Him first and everything. He said, and He gives good advice here. He says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not on earth, because they won't be stolen. They'll be enduring. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so I, you run into that, right? Jesus ran into people. And, and He didn't challenge them, <coughs> excuse me, because He didn't like them. He challenged them. Because he knew there was something between, that would stand between him and them. So Jesus ran into, he tells us about three different situations. One, he said, follow me. He said, well, I need to go first and bury my father. And Jesus didn't seem to have any kind of 
affection for that. But that Jesus wasn't stopping the dude from going to a funeral. That's not what was happening. He, if his father would have been dead, Jesus would have let him go to his father's burial. Basically, he was saying, let me go stay with my father till my father passes away so I can get all the stuff that I got coming to me. And Jesus said, you're not ready to follow me. Then he talks to another one about, they said, I got bought a piece of ground and I got to go. And so that was more important to them than answering the call, right? One said, I married a wife. Right? And so all these things began to be things. And here's what I will tell you. The Lord will be faithful to deal with anything that would stand between you and Him. He's going to be faithful to deal with it. You'll have to make the decision. Remember the rich young ruler. He, Jesus wasn't opposed to somebody being rich. Jesus, the Lord made some people rich. Right? Abraham was rich. David was rich. Solomon was rich. Lydia was rich in the New Testament, the seller of pearl. He was, but he was opposed to the riches being in front of him. And I just want to say, the Lord's opposed to anything being in front of him. It doesn't matter what it is. And he's not on an ego trip because he's going to be standing when this thing's over, whether you and I are standing with him or not. That's the bottom line. He's going to be standing. So why would Jesus be so concerned about those things? Because he knows that we can't follow him if something else is more important to us. He said you can't love father, mother, brother, sister, anybody, husband or wife, more than me and be my disciple. Those are strong language. But, and those are things we don't hear a lot anymore. But Jesus has filled the Bible, the first four books especially, he's filled it up with challenges to us of whether we're going to put him first or not. And that's what this whole chapter is about. Now, we live in a day where we're going to have to put him first, and we're going to have to remember that his kingdom's not of this world. And, we're not, and that we don't get caught up like the Jews and get disappointed because Jesus didn't burn some place down that we thought he ought to burn down. What if somebody's praying? Like Abraham, the great intercessor. He kept trying to intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah, didn't he? Would you have interceded for Sodom and Gomorrah? We might have said, hey, I'm with you, Lord. Blow the place up. Right. Would you have interceded? Would you have said, hey, what if there's 50? What if there's 25, 10? I mean, Abraham was interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah, and it was a decrepit, evil place. But he was still interceding for it. He must have understood mercy and grace a little bit, didn't he? Or would you and I have been like the sons of thunder? <laughs> Somebody bad-mouthed you and, uh, hey, let's call some fire down and kill those dudes right now. Let's show them who the boss is. Intercession's a beautiful thing. But what if somebody's praying for something you want destroyed because God, they want God to save somebody out of that? See, we're not God. We don't make those kind of calls. So you can you got to be careful that you don't get caught up in this life thinking God ought to order everything the way you see it or I see it in this life. He's got a bigger plan and a bigger purpose. Can you say amen? Then he says, the lamp of the body's the eye. If therefore the, your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light excuse me, that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? David said, I you know, and Job both, they talked about not setting anything evil before their eyes. Because that's how the, the devil likes to stimulate us, right? He likes to stimulate us, whether it's fear, lust, greed, a lot of times... He likes to start that stimulation through the eye. Get you, the Bible says about Lot, right? Lot went to Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And then God had to basically drag them out of there before he blew the joint up. But the Bible says if you follow the pattern of Lot, the Bible said he looked toward Sodom. Then you read a few verses longer and it says he pitched his tent toward Sodom. 
And then you read a few more verses and you find out he's living in Sodom. And that's how the process of iniquity, temptation, sin works, right? The devil gets us looking in the wrong direction. Then he gets us to start getting close to that. And then the next thing you know, you find yourself in the middle of it. We used to sing an old song, Lot, Lot. You picked the wrong spot. Went down to Sodom and Gomorrah and lost everything you got. But that's, it's, it's a funny song, really, but it's true. Lot, Lot picked the wrong spot. Because why? What's the Bible say in the New Testament? The lust of the eye. That's what got Adam and Eve, right? He got Eve looking. That's how this whole mess started. He got her looking, right? Well, Job and David made a covenant with their eyes. Job said he made a covenant with his eyes that he wouldn't look toward his handmaiden, toward the servants. So you, you, your eye is a gateway, and that's how the devil likes to get stuff started with us. That, why do you think the enemy has been so aggressive with media? If you ever listen to James Dobson, some of his older stuff, it's amazing of how much of the internet is evil versus the little bit that's good. It's simply amazing. Bad evil. Not just a little off, but bad evil. The percentages are staggering. Because the devil knows, right? He knows because that's how he started. He started the whole thing that way. What did he do? He got Eve to listen and to look. Now, you don't need to be having conversations with Satan other than the Lord rebuke you. That's, that's the kind of language you need to use with him. But that I is, is important to keep clear, right? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And that's true, isn't it? I told you all the story several times about the, one of the wealthiest guys in our community getting saved and got baptized and he was on the way in to the water he had one of them wallets that had to have a chain on it you know you got a lot of money if you got a wallet that needs a big chain to it you know of course i saw boys in high school with wallets i don't know if they maybe they want everybody to think but i'm thinking if you got a wallet with a chain on it you got to chain it to yourself that's like a brief briefcase man you got some dough right his wife's on the riverbank when we were baptizing that day, and he's going in with his wallet, and she says, your wallet's in your pocket. And what a testimony when he turned and looked at everybody on that riverbank and said, it's going under too. In other words, I'm no longer a slave to money. I'm taking it. It's going under with me. I'm going to die to that too. So you, <clears throat> you got to realize that Jesus is not settling for polygamy. Whatever that is, whatever the other thing is, Jesus is not going to be a polygamist with you and me. He's going to be first. He's not going to be tied with somebody else. It's not going to be Buddha and Jesus. It's going to be Jesus or it ain't Jesus. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry. All right, he's given us good instruction on how to live. And then he says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And we had people fist fighting over toilet paper a couple of years ago. <laughs> I'd say there was some fights yesterday. Was it Friday or whenever, Black Friday? I'd say there was fist fights in stores. Fighting. He says, do not worry about your life. Wow. That's the thing we would worry about the most, wouldn't it? Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Whoo. He needs, the Lord needs to destroy every catalog in the earth, don't he? I didn't know I had some of these needs till I saw the advertisement. Am I talking to anybody? You didn't know you had a need till you saw the advertisement come in. <laughs> he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? The answer to that's yes. 
Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap, gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Wow, what a statement. He just challenges us not to worry about these basic things for life. And then he says, talks about the birds or animals that he cares for. And then he reasserts our value by saying we're more valuable than they are. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? And then, of course, we know Psalm 37, 8, worry only causes harm. Tell your neighbor, say, worry only causes harm. Go ahead and tell them that now. So if you're worrying, you're not being productive. It's only doing damage, right? If we're worrying, we're only doing damage with that. And then he says, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was, was, uh, was not arrayed like any of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Basically the Lord's saying, I'll take care of your needs. That's what he's saying there. But we're talking about people who are following his instruction, right? Here's, here's the problem that we see with a lot of folks. We read that verse that says, even when we're not faithful, he remains faithful, all right? Stick man, that'd be you and I, he travels this line. He's following the Lord, and on this, he's experiencing God's faithfulness. Here's what a lot of folks do, and then God gets the blame for it. They're traveling with the Lord, and they're following His ways, and they're experiencing His faithfulness in this path, right? We call this the Pisteo path. So stick man, he got born again, saved, redeemed, and he's on this path seeking the kingdom, and he's on his way toward God's heaven, right? That's you and I. What, sometimes stick man gets distracted, he gets deceived, whatever, he gets in the flesh, and he takes a detour. And so stick man gets down here, all right, running his own show for whatever reason, whatever caused him to get down there, deception, got his eyes off on the Lord, started looking towards Sodom, whatever. And now he's not experiencing the faithfulness of God down here. And so the devil shows up, right? And starts bad-mouthing God and trying to get stick man to turn against God. This never changed how faithful the Lord is. He's still being faithful. Stick man, all he needs to do is let that which is lame, according to Hebrews, be healed and turn back into the path. The faithfulness is still going on. Even though this guy's not experiencing it, doesn't mean that the faithfulness has ever stopped. The reason he's not experiencing it is because he's pulled himself out of the path. He went after something, whatever that something is. But if he would return to the path, he would keep, continue to experience the faithfulness of God. Now, if he's not getting destroyed, if God's protecting him or her and not letting them get destroyed, he's experiencing God's mercy, right? All of us have experienced that. Before we were saved, probably after we were saved, we've all experienced God's mercy over and over and over. But the problem is with a lot of people, they'll get down on God, and it's them that's caused the problem. They remove themselves from the realm where they should be experiencing His faithfulness. His faithfulness never changed. It never stopped. But this stick guy decided to do his own thing. How many of you tried to do your own thing before? How many of you? you all, we all did a good job at that, didn't we? We did such a good job, we should keep doing it, right? And then he says, <clears throat> he says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek. Wow. He nailed us, didn't he? I can't go. I don't have nothing to wear. And the closet's full. Right? I'm not just, I'm, that's not a gender statement. Because men are like that. Have you been to some places? Some men like to look in the mirror more than women. Am I telling the truth? And we got promises of these things. But us Gentiles, and this is what I said earlier. 
what the, there's a big difference between what Gentiles pursue and what the Jews were told to pursue and how Jesus has asked us to live. The Gentiles are living for the now. That was their problem. And we got to be careful not to fall into that trap that we're living for the now. We're not living for the life after. And so he says, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or what you're going to wear. For all, after all these things, that's how the Gentiles live. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. So basically, he's saying God's going to take care of your needs. But we don't, it's hard sometimes to be content. Am I telling the truth? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Here's that verse. And all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You and I have been asked to live different as believers in Christ. Not only us, but anybody who's a follower of Christ. Where God's put you, how he's blessed you, that's all his provision. That's well and fine. And if we took a poll in the body of Christ all over the world, we would find people from every scale, from every walk of life, from every income level. We would find all that. And God has purpose and plan for everybody. But here is the call for all of us. God wants to make sure that we put his kingdom first above everything else. That means our family, everything. He also wants to make sure that that's what we pursue first. He don't want us living for this life. He wants us to live for the kingdom of God, which is not of this world. Now, I got, you know, I, I got renewed to a lot of this. Because it's easy. The world wants us to get caught up in all kinds of things. And some of them are not bad. They're not evil. But the devil don't care what he gets you caught up in. Just as long as he can get you and I caught up in something that's more important to us than God. Now I know everybody <coughs> likes activities, sports and all that. And I do too. I grew up on those. I've got an education because of ball but you can go overboard with that stuff I remember growing up in Kentucky being in the national championship game and churches calling off church that didn't taste right back then it sure don't taste right now but they didn't have DVRs preacher we had to. I mean you can carry anything too far right you can get too caught up in anything. And so, we need to be careful that the kingdom of God is first. And that's a challenge. It would be a challenge to all of us. I got renewed to this stuff, obviously, because of my stint about what's important. And some things have really become just not important to me at all anymore. I'm going to share an intimate part of what happened to me before I close here that I hadn't shared so far. I didn't go through a battery of discoveries to find out that I had heart trouble and then schedule a bunch of things and go through different events and tests and decide to have surgery. I collapsed in the middle of Texas. Had I not collapsed there and had it happened between there and Oklahoma City, there wouldn't have been a hospital. It's about eight hours. You're desolate. It's pretty desolate. A few small towns with not much in them, but it's desolate land from Amarillo to Oklahoma City. So God allowed that to happen there. <clears throat> One of the cardiologists said that he, I found out later, said that he believed that it's possible my heart stopped and started back on its own, which is almost rare. never happened. I didn't have a heart attack. They called it a heart event. 
So none of us have the promise of tomorrow. I know all that stuff. So when that <clears throat> surgeon came in and said, uh, she was so kind and said, I'm going to clear out, I'm going to block off time for you on Tuesday and you can tell me Tuesday morning. And she said, I understand how far away you are from home if you want to go home and this, that, and the other. But she was very encouraging. She was giving me a lot of tharseo, telling me that she felt like God had brought me there. And, and it was looking that way clearly with all the circumstantial things. My family was stuck in Dallas, needed a rental car, and they were almost impossible to get because the hurricane had just come through. And, uh, some guy at the counter heard them talking and gave him they, he gave my family his rental car to come on so God just one thing after another was working out <clears throat> but I, I knew I didn't have the promise tomorrow and I think I told you this part I told the surgeon I said listen I know who's in charge whether I die today or six years from now I understand who's in charge I just need to hear from God I said that I built my whole life on hearing from God and once I hear from God, then I'll make my decision. Now, here's what I want to share with you, because I think it's important. You, I, didn't, I didn't really go into in detail about how I heard from God, other than to tell you that my wife and I didn't sleep much that night because we were praying, and I was keeping her up. But at 3 o'clock in the morning, I did hear from God. But let me say something to you. Here's what I did not hear. I did not hear God say, you're going to make it through the surgery. I didn't hear that. I did not hear God say, you're going to live. I didn't hear that. That's not what I heard. God took me to the scripture at three in the morning and started telling me and showing me in the scripture the value of suffering in the flesh. Now, I've been doing this a long time. I've been cussed out. I've, I've been spit on. I don't think I've been swung at because I'm not sanctified to that point yet. And God knows it or I wouldn't swing back from it. Lord, help me. I'm still growing. <laughs> I might not swing right now because I don't want to get in a fight with my chest, not fully. <laughs> but yeah, I'm just teasing. Uh, but I've been spit I mean, I've... We don't have answer machines anymore, really, but I've got answer, and I'm glad I picked up and took the messages for my children, heard them. And, I mean, I've been cussed out, spit at, persecuted. I've had all kinds of stuff like that, lied on, all that stuff over the years. But I've been healthy, never really faced physical affliction. And so God started taking me to the Scripture and showing me the value of suffering in the flesh. Something I probably wouldn't have heard very well until this, he had me cornered. He didn't, it's what I wanted to say to you, I didn't want you all to think that, oh, God showed up to Matt and said, hey, you're, you're going to make it through this surgery, you're going to be good, man. He didn't do that. He just started speaking to me through his word about the value of suffering in the flesh and I knew that was going to be a part of this journey I knew I was going to wake up with tubes coming out of everywhere I, I, I sh maybe should have lost my life in the middle of that gas station to hear the one cardiologist say but when I heard from God, hearing from God and I was in, like I said it was a different situation, you're in an unknown land, I didn't go through a discovery time to get to this one I just collapsed and bam 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 bam, you got decision after decision coming your way nobody told me you're going to be fine after the surgery, you're going to do no, I never heard an angel, nobody but I got these things. Let me share a couple of them with you. Uh, and this is why I want to talk to you 
just a moment about faith. Our faith takes God's word whether we know the result or not. That's what I want to say to you. I needed to hear God interacting with me. I needed some movement from Him. He didn't have to tell me the result. I just needed some movement where I could take my body and hang it on His Word because His Word will never pass away. Everything else will pass away but His Word. I didn't need a superheated moment in my emotional man. I needed some of His Word driving into my spirit. I didn't need the result. I didn't need for Him to tell me the outcome. What I needed is for my Father to come along and say, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. Submit to that. With no idea of an outcome. No idea of how, how really bad what happened in the middle of that gas station really was. And so he didn't tell me any results. He just started speaking to me through his word. And saying, here's one place, 1 Peter. Take you to 1 Peter. Faith takes God at His word. It doesn't wait for a result or an outline. He just takes Him at His word. What did Abraham do? God said, follow, come follow me. I'll take you to land that I'll show you later. We, all these people in Hebrews chapter 11, they were people who did things they couldn't see. They followed. That's what faith is. Faith is taking it and hanging it on your hanging it on God's Word, no matter what the result is. In 1 Peter 2, verse 21, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow His steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in His mouth, who when He was reviled did not revile in return, and when He suffered He did not threaten, but committed Himself to Him who judges righteously." who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, have, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray. So Jesus took our place. He suffered in the flesh for us. Now go to chapter 4 of this same book. This is a powerful word he gave me. Because this is all about Christ's suffering. But then he turns toward me, turns toward us. In verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. That that cultural thing, where, where things in the culture are, are too important to us. And that's what's changed in my life. It's changed. I got a new lease on that. And I see the value now. A lot of things that were important to me seven and a half weeks ago are not near as important as they are to, as today. And it's not because, ah, oh, you went through a big surgery. It's because of the words I'm getting. Let me show you one that he gave me after. And you'll see how this all ties together. Go with me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. This is the longest chapter in the Bible. And uh, he gave me a few verses out of here after, uh, after all this had taken place. And verse, let's look at uh, Psalm 119, verse uh, 73. And this, is, this was what I was really consoled with. He says, your, hand, your hands, and this was my position with God as well. Your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you will be glad when they see me. Were you all glad? I'm glad that I live my life by faith. I'm glad that God went in front of me. I'm glad I have people 
when they told me, of course she understood this, the surgeon did, because she's a spirit-filled believer, but when they told me, they said, you're, you look better than any patient we've had the quickest, I said, you know how many people are praying for me? I said, I got, and of course she, she understood that, but I said, I got people praying for me everywhere. Those who fear you will be glad when they see me because I have hoped in your word. I didn't get an email from God saying the surgery is going to be fine. You'll come out like a breeze. I didn't get that there's going to be nothing. I just got some words about the value of suffering and I knew it was God talking. I knew he was talking to me. And that's when I made my decision. He says, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. God is teaching me so much and training me through this event. Do you hear what what he just said? He said, those who fear you will be glad when they see me because I have hoped in your word I know, O oh Lord, that your judgments are right and that the faithfulness you have and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. This is my testimony back to him. If I want to be remembered for one thing by all of you that have honored me by sitting under the mantle that God has given me, because you could sit anywhere you want. You don't have to sit here. I want to be remembered that our preacher trusted God's word no matter what. That's what I want to be remembered for. And this is the verses he gave me. Let let I pray your merciful kindness be for my comfort. This all has been happening in my life. According to your word to your servant, let your tender mercies come to me that I may live For your law is my delight. You see, I don't want this to come out wrong, but his church is not my delight. His word, his son, his spirit is my delight. Not buildings, not ministries. Let the proud be ashamed, for they treated me wrongfully with falsehood. But I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me, those who know your testimonies. Let my heart be blameless regarding your statutes that I may not be ashamed. My soul faints for your salvation, but I hope in your word. That's my testimony. All those things he did, he's doing. And it was worth collapsing in Texas to be taught by the Holy Spirit the way He's teaching me right now. It's just a bump in the road because God's always in charge. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. Who would have thunk you would have got a bunch of words about suffering and said, let's do it. (laughs) But God has a beautiful way of putting Tharseo in us. God is faithful. I have found him faithful once again. He said he'd never leave us nor forsake us. He'd be with us until the end. We don't know when the end's coming. We know we're close. But you know what impresses me, and I believe impresses God more than anything else? Not talent, not knowledge, endurance. Let me see those folks that are in no matter what. They can't be run off. They can't be moved by Satan. They can't get discouraged. They just keep coming. They just keep coming. Endurance is the greatest thing we have to offer God. That consistency. Stay in there. Keep the faith. Fight the good fight.
Because we got a crown laid up for us. Amen. And our goal is not to leave a legacy in the natural here. Our goal is to hear the Lord say, well done, you good and faithful servant. Amen. Father, we thank you for this moment we have. We got so many folks that are battling physical affliction. We pray for all those families that are faced with all this sickness. But Lord, there are people here that are watching from around the world and going to get this podcast. Maybe somebody who's lost, who's never come to you as their Lord and Savior. Maybe there's a prodigal that needs to come home. Maybe there are people who are facing discouragement that need to be strengthened. Greater is He that's in us than he that's in the world. Somebody in this building this morning that needs your touch, that needs you to minister to them in a situation. We pray, God, that prayers can be, get answered. We know they can be answered. And we, we know you're here to answer prayers today. So as we open this altar up, Lord, we pray that you will answer prayers as people come into your presence. This altar's open.